Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Welcome back to another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I'm John Shirky here with my friend, my co-host, Jamie Wagner. Jamie, as always, good to see you. Good to see you as well. We have an awesome episode. Unbelievable. I actually say at the end of it that I'm going to give you the secret to life. So hang around for that. Um, I don't know what I was thinking, because, but it's good, right? And the reason we get there is because Brent Hansen, our guest today, assistant coach at Purim for cross country and basketball, has a really awesome story about how he has kind of transformed his life through running, coaching, challenge really like being challenged with difficult things and how he's come out the other side of it and the stuff he's given us and that he gets to give to his kids also to the athletes that he's working with man uh perm's lucky to have some of the coaches that they have and that's hard for me to say i'm going to be real about that but but they do an amazing job and it's obvious why yeah the, the other thing jamie is we've all been in situations we've all had to go through things where we didn't know if we were coming out the other side or how we were coming out the other side. And, and that's different for everybody, right? It can be death. It can be, you know, relationship issues. It can be medical stuff, whatever it is. We've all been in that situation. And yet, you know, he doesn't have all the answers, but he's got some really cool ideas of things that he's done and, and his perspective and his mindset toward, Hey, I got it. We're, we're going to not only just, get through this, but we're going to go through this and we're going to be better because of it. And so again, I think we've all experienced that and yet we can all get better at that. So I, it's, it's just, and it's a mindset. Like we, the name of the podcast is eyes up mindset, right? Like this idea is how do we approach things with our thinking? Right. And I think one of the things that Brent has really a really cool handle on, if you're, if you're to ask me is like, how he approaches thinking about big tasks like running an ultra marathon, right? How does he think about what's my role as an assistant coach? Like it's a thought process that then manifests itself into really cool action. No doubt. We got better today. You will be better for listening. Brent Hansen. Here we go. Brent Hansen, assistant coach extraordinary in Perm, Minnesota. We had, one of the head coaches that you work for on. And he's like, you absolutely have to talk to Brent. His story is incredible. We will get to some of that, but first and foremost, thank you for joining us. Tell us what it is that you coach and what you're about. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So I am, uh, I am the ninth grade boys basketball coach in Perm, and I've been doing that for the past 18 years. And I'm also an assistant cross country coach with Jeff Morris, who is on your show. And I've been doing that for the past 18 years as well. That's incredible, man. Let me, let me just start with, yeah, let me start there. How do you do 18 years? Again, I mean, I think there's a lot of coaches out there that have coached a long time, but that's a long time. You know, I, I would, I don't know what the average tenure for a coach is, but, um, that's a long time, especially to do multiple sports in multiple seasons. That's um, how have you kind of, I, I don't want to say survived because clearly you love doing it, what you do if you're doing it for that long, but how have you made that work for you and your family? I, I do think that survive is a little bit of an accurate thing. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's not easy. Um, it definitely takes a lot of buy-in. I have uh, my wife, Sarah is, she is very, she's very gracious to kind of share me and she kind of knows that there's periods where I'm, I'm not going to be as as available. Um, I might, I might not be an awesome dad for a couple of weeks here in March, um, like that we're entering into. And there's, there's a few times when we're gone for cross country meets on Saturdays that are busy periods. So, so I mean, definitely having buy-in from her is something, but I think that she also sees the value that it brings our family. Um, I think both sports, um, Jeff Morris and Dave Cressup, one of the things that I really appreciate about both of them is like, they value people. Um, they, they value the relationships that we have in these sports. And, and I kind of have interjected my family into that relationship. Like my, my kids have been going to practice since 
you know, about the time that, about the time that they could go long enough that I wouldn't have to worry about changing a diaper in the middle of practice. So, so that's been um, something that's kind of been, kind of been awesome for our families to have kids that grow up, you know, in these families a little bit. I, I was just speaking to my wife. We have two young kids, you know, we have a three month old now. And, and one of the things that I said to her is our college experience, right? I, I, I coached where we played football together at Bethel and, and I coached there after I was done. And, and one of my favorite things about the experience was Saturday night after games, like everybody's families came to eat together in the dining center. Like, and it was this, it was all extended family sort of experience. What have Jeff and Dave done to let you know that that is okay. Right. And that, that the, you actually want to bring your kids to be influenced by these people. You know, you say they care about people. What does that look like? Because these long tenured assistantships that you're talking about are not super normal because people want to raise up and be the guy, be the person in that seat to make the decisions. That's clearly, I mean, maybe it's what you want to do someday, but at this point, there's a reason that you're still showing up and you're bringing your kids to be influenced. What, what does that look like? Because that's a pretty special thing. It seems like. Well, that's uh, absolutely something I don't really want to do. I love being an assistant. Um, and, and I think, I think I'm a really good assistant. I don't think I'd be an awesome head coach just for, for, for a lot of reasons, but um, I'll start with cross country. Um, you know, we have a lot of, we have a lot of weekend events, um, you know, usually about two or three of them a year. And like, one of the things that Jeff is totally okay with is like, Hey, if we're going to go, we're going to bring the team down. Um, we're going to ride the bus. We're going to stay in a hotel. Like I can bring my family with, they, they can stay in my room. I'm, I'm staying in a room by myself. So, you know, and that's something that my kids have really looked forward to is, you know, I get to ride the bus with the big kids and, you know, I get to hang out with dad for a weekend and, um, there's usually about 25 minutes during a race where I've got to find a manager and be like, Hey, can you, can you make sure just keep eyes on eyes on my kids during the race? But for the most part, you know, they kind of tag along with us and, and cross country is actually a really easy sport to do that. Um, a little bit easier than other sports. You know, if your, your daughter was in the huddle with you in the football, that might be a little bit more difficult, but the cross country kind of lends itself to that. Um, and, and Jeff has been totally, fully supportive of that. Um, basketball, you know, like right now, my, my oldest daughter is kind of in that tween age. She's 11 years old. So, um, doesn't really want to go to daycare anymore, but not really old enough that she can just hang out by herself. So like my daughter comes to practice and she hangs out, you know, on the sidelines when we're not using a basket, she shoots hoops. Um, and you know, the coaches and players interact with her and it's, it's a good experience for all of us right now. So you mentioned something interesting. Jamie and I both have been assistants at various levels. We've also been head coaches. And I think to a certain extent, both of us knew we were going to be head coaches or wanted that role at some point um, in, in various sports. And I, I love that you said, look, I don't, I don't want to do that. I think I'm a great assistant and I don't want to do that. And now that leads to my question is what makes a great assistant and how did you find that out about yourself or make that decision? Cause I do think most people at some point they're like, no, I want to be the one that's, you know, putting the program together and this is my thing. And so maybe talk a little bit about that. How, how'd you figure that out about yourself and, and maybe what makes that uh, a good fit for you? Um, I, I think it's a lot of just kind of, you know, learning about yourself. Cause I started out the same as almost anybody else that starts out coaching. Like, yeah, someday I'd, I'd love to be the head coach. Um, but I, I had kind of have a, a different, I don't know, a different path than a lot of normal people. I'm not a teacher. First of all, you know, I kind of, I kind of work outside. Um, I work for actually a college right now. Um, and, and I, I've never been a teacher, so I'm, I'm not on like a normal, I'm not on a normal teaching schedule. So, you know, for like for bas basketball, for example, like summers are a big thing coaching basketball. You got a lot of tournaments, um, you got a lot of open gyms, a lot of things like that. I wouldn't be able to do that. And I wouldn't really want to run a program where I can't I can't give it what I think needs to go into a basketball program. Um, 
like I think that'd kind of be selfish of me because it'd be making it about me more so than making it about kids. Um, and and I, I think I've learned about myself. I am I am really good at supporting the head coach, um, I, but I, I just don't think I'd be great at being a head coach. And, and, and I'm okay with that. So how has that continuity, right? I think that's, you know, 18 years, same head coach for both sports for that whole period. Yep. How has that yep. continuity contributed to success? Cause that turnover is a killer, right? No matter what, what you're in, what context you're in, when you're turning over anybody you're working with, now we have to onboard, we have to teach, we have to, how does that continuity contribute to your guys' relationship? Um, come practice time, come event time. I, I think the biggest advantage for us and I like, honestly, in, in both sports that I'm involved with our staff, has been here for a long time. Um, and, and I think the biggest thing is like, we, we have a lot of trust in each other. Um, like our basketball, for example, we'll divide up kind of in two groups. We practice together nine through 12. Um, and I generally take the ninth grader and then I'll take some, I'll take some of our JV kids. We'll be on one side of the, one side of the floor. Um, coach Cressup will take the varsity and maybe a couple of the top JV kids. They'll be on the other side of the floor. Um, and, and honestly, I just kind of run that practice. Um, we're doing some of the drills at this, you know, we're doing the same thing that they're doing. Um, we're just doing our own version of it. And then sometimes we'll just do something completely independent. Um, but for the most part, for the most part, I think coach Cressup has a lot of trust in me that I've been doing this long enough. I know what he expects. I know, and, and not just, I know what he expects. I also know what it takes for these kids to be successful in his program. I also played for coach Cressup. Um, they're not going to write any, any books about what a great player I was because, cause I wasn't, I was, uh, I was the kid that I played 14 minutes of varsity my junior year. Um, and most, most kids in that, in that position don't go out for their senior year, but I, I just love basketball. I love being a part of the team. And, and by the time my senior year, I was the sixth man. I played, I played guard and post. I was only six feet tall, but I knew that we had three all-conference guards ahead of me. And if I wanted to play a little bit, like, you know, I just came to Coach Gressup and they said, hey, can I play a little bit of post? Because I, I felt like I had a better chance to play there. So, so I understand what it takes to play for Coach Cressup too. So I'm trying to give these kids the tools to succeed in our system. You mentioned trust, and we, we've talked a lot with coaches about how they trust and need to trust their assistant coaches and give them freedom within kind of the overall objective of, Hey, we, we, we want to win games. We want to build kids with high character, you know, and, and build relationships. But one thing I was reading your bio that you sent us. And first of all, it's incredibly impressive. And I, I was talking to Jamie and I'm like, man, we could take this 72 different directions here. But one thing that stood out to me and, and it, it reminded me when you were just talking about that trust was, you were talking about the, the cross-country coaching and, and you, you had this line that you said, we don't really have job position titles. And, and then you, you talked about that and you kind of gave that same impression with basketball where it's like, yeah, I take the ninth graders and some of the JV guys and we're just doing the stuff. And I think so many programs, so many schools, so many coaches get caught up being like, well, I'm the ninth grade coach. I, I, this is my team. I'm not you know, or I'm the 10th grade coach should stop trying to coach my kids. And it may not always be that uh, explicit, but there's that internal potential tension. It seems like that's something that you guys have either worked through or avoided or eliminated altogether. So talk to me a little bit about, talk to us a little bit about kind of that concept of no real position uh, title. Yeah. I, and, and maybe at this point it's that I've been doing it so long that we're like an old married couple or something where, yeah. <laughs> where it's just natural. But, um, I, I, you know, for me, for me, I don't need like whatever, whatever is going to help the program. Like that's what I'm here for. I don't, I don't need a pat on the back. I don't need, I'm not worried about stepping on toes. You know, I, I kind of, for the most part, kind of do my own thing. Um, sometimes, sometimes, you know, the coaches will tell me, Hey, you know, I need you to do this. And like, I'm not going to put, I'm not going to push back if I don't feel the need to push back every once in a while. I will say like, you know, Hey, why, why are we doing this? Um, 
but I, I think I come from a place where I'm not challenging the head coaches, you know, constantly. And I'm, this definitely isn't about ego for me. And this definitely isn't about getting ahead. Um, I just want what's best for the program and what's best for these kids. So your experience, your life experience, like John said, when you sent your bio, like there's a, there's a bunch in there, but the thing that jumps out right away is that you've had two cardiac events at really young ages once when you were 19 and once when you were 24 my dad had a heart attack at 38 and so i kind of have this sense of this but 19 and 24 is a totally different world and then twice how like talk us through what happened in each of those events first of all and then i'm sure we'll have a million questions after that yeah so you know it's it's something I've talked about. I've talked about quite a bit, um, but you know, 19 years old, just if you're 19 years old and you're living, that's a really strange age anyway, you know, just being in that transition between, you know, being at home with your parents and then going to college. So, so yeah, to have something crazy like this, well, what happened is I was home. Um, it was actually June 1st right after my freshman year of college. And um, I was getting together with a couple buddies so we went up to the community center in Perm and we were shooting hoops, like not even playing basketball, like just shooting hoops. And uh, I, w- I went down and my friends thought that I was like faking like I was flopping or something like that. Like I was a uh, manager Ginobili or something. I don't know. But after after a few seconds, they realized that it was something serious. And I I'd, I'd had a cardiac arrest. I really had no history of any any health problems whatsoever. I was a completely normal 19 year old. And here I was, you know, on the floor of a gymnasium in our community. And I was like, essentially I was dead. A um, lot of really crazy things happened. They, you know, they called 911 um, and they ran in, they ran into the, to the uh, swimming area because, you know, we get a lifeguard to start CPR the lifeguard, you know, it was like a 15 year old that's doing it at a part-time job. Um, and I, 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 you know, I wasn't around for it, but I imagine they were scared to death, but thankfully there was actually a physical therapist from Fargo that was, he was in there because his family was at the lake for the weekend and the weather was kind of crappy. So they went into the pool and they went swimming. So he started the process of CPR. They called 911. And when they called 911, the paramedics were actually in the car they were delivering a defibrillator to the golf course. So as soon as they got the call, call, they were already, you know, they were already in the car. So they were there in like less than two minutes. Um, I got one shock with a defibrillator and that brought me back to life. Um, spent the next week in the hospital in Fargo and I got implanted with the ICD, which is an internal defibrillator. And I have been living with an ICD for the past 21 years now. Easy. <laughs> so, and then you had a second event. Did the ICD kick in? Was that like, how, walk us through that second, that second yeah, time a couple so years I, later. I actually had a second event. I was actually coaching fifth and sixth graders at the time. Um, and we were, we were just doing a regular fifth and sixth grade basketball practice. And then at the end of practice, we have them doing a little running. So we were having them do like a circle around the elementary school and these kids, you know, the circle around the elementary school is maybe, I don't know, a 10th of a mile. It's not very far, but it was taking some kids like four minutes to come back. So it was really obvious to me as a coach that these kids are like running until they're out of sight and then they're walking. And then as soon as they come back in the hallway, it's like running again. So I'm like, well, I'm going to run this with them. And I was running it with them. And for some reason, that's still kind of unbeknownst to me, I had another, had another cardiac arrest and I, I went down and my defibrillator shocked me and saved my life there. So, so I will not profess to be, um, incredibly intelligent in the medical field, but hearing those stories, my head immediately goes to, okay, you're at a young age, you have these major events. There must be some limitation in terms of what you can physically do or what you're supposed to be doing at this point in your life. Now, because I know what you do, 
I clearly know that's maybe not as true as I'm thinking in my brain, but tell us a little bit about that. Are there any limitations or things you have to avoid or do differently because of these, these events? I have some slight limitations. Um, I, and, and they're really, they're really not that limiting. Um, like I couldn't play a really physical sport like football or wrestling or basketball, something like that wouldn't work for me because, uh, a jolt to that device. My device is kind of, um, it has a lead that goes directly into my heart. Um, so anything that would cause a, a jolt to that device could be like really, really bad for me. So, so, you know, I can't do any of that stuff. Not that at 19, I was doing any of that stuff anymore, but I don't know, my dream of being a professional wrestler went out the window, I suppose. <laughs> um, and, and then there's just certain other things like I, <laughs> going through metal detectors is a problem. So I'm always having to ask the person to get, you know, I need to get pat down. And then they're like, we'll just wand you. And I'm like, no, I can't do the wand. Um, It's a lot of stuff that's really inconvenient. It's not stuff that's um, really limiting. Um, The coolest thing that for me throughout the whole experience is my, my first two doctors I had, um, it was Merrick here in, in Fargo at the time, which is now Sanford. My first two doctors um, really, really made an emphasis and they really talked about, you know, this is, this is something that you've got to deal with, but it's really important that you live as normal as life as possible. Um, And like, I would have questions like, can I play basketball? And they're like, yeah, you can play basketball. If it becomes a problem, then we'll deal with it. But they were really, really focused on kind of the patient care and the, just the, you know, the mental health aspect that goes with, with dealing with something like this at 19 years old. So from, from the get go, they've kind of had the attitude of, we want you to be as normal as possible. And, yeah. and I don't know that I've been as normal as possible. I've probably gone uh, yeah. a little bit above and beyond that, but been no problem so far. So this, this gets into my next question, because the second you tell me I'm running a 10th of a mile around a school and I have a collapse, I, I would think there's probably a sense of maybe that's not something I should do again. Maybe this little bit of physical activity triggered a response, but you have gone the opposite direction. Instead of not running, you run kind of like a lunatic. You have done four ultra marathons in the last two years, right? Yeah, that's correct. And one of them was a hundred miler. That's yep, insane. That's correct. And you, you qualified for the Boston marathon in 2017, you've run 16 marathons. Like you are kind of in a different class of, of runner. And yet you carry this baggage of, I had this thing happen to me a while ago. What was that like mentally to, to pick up and say, you know, I know you just said, doctor said, try and live as normal, but I, I have to imagine there's some hesitation there, right? I have to imagine there's some fear you know, you even asking the question, can I play basketball? You know, like, I think there is something that you carry there. What, what was that process like getting back into being in like racing and competing, even though you're carrying that? Yeah. So, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't a runner before this happened to me. Um, that's even like that, wilder. That, that's something I started like my last year of college. Um, I, I did the same thing. A lot of people do is I went to college and I, completely stopped exercising and started utilizing all of the campus, you know, like, Oh, I can get fast food instead of a meal, like for every meal. So I got a little heavy and I got a little heavy in college. I'm like, I got to do something about this. Like, um, but, but really the, the activity, um, once again, I kind of go back to my doctors. They kind of said, what, let's be as normal as possible. And I really, I really kind of went with that. Um, because that was really important to me. I spent probably the better part of a year just like up in my own head, like completely all I thought about. And it it was just, it was really weird because 19 years old, you know, what are you thinking about? Like my friends were thinking about what are we doing this weekend or girls or whatever, school, just everything else. Like I like 24 seven was like, am I going to die today? Like, am I going to, am I going to be here like a month from now? So I, I like even I, my grades were terrible that first year, but I, I really 
you know, I got through it and I really kind of survived that first year. But the, the thing that really kind of stuck out to me is like, if I'm going to survive this and am I going to get through this, like I have to do what's best for me. Because the other thing that was difficult is there was a lot of people that had opinions about what I should be doing. Like, oh, I don't think you should do that. You know, I don't like, and that was, that was really difficult for me. I would have strangers coming up to me at church telling me what they think I should do. I've never talked to them before. And, and that was just something that was real difficult, you know, like, cause I'm dealing with this 24, seven, 365 to begin with. And now I kind of have to explain my own actions to you. Like, it, it was hard. So how did you, other than time passing, how did you get through that? Was there anything specific that you did uh, to kind of move to that next level of, okay, I'm going to live, I'm going to get back to me living my life and, and not worried about every time I go out and do something that something bad is going to happen. Yeah, actually that's, that's my, my last year of college. That's, I actually started running and I, I started running by doing, you know, six miles an hour for 10 minutes on a treadmill. And, and I started running and, and I just, the thing that running did for me is it gave me so much clarity and it was like, it was like the greatest therapy in the world. Um, and that was kind of like a real, that kind of was a real point in time that I can point to and be like, that's exactly when everything started to change. Um, so as soon as that started to change, I really, I really went with that. So I started running February of my last year of college. And by May I ran my first half marathon um, that October, I ran my first marathon. I just kind of, I kind of went all in with like that daily run was my, that was my medicine. That was, that was the thing that I needed that just got my mind, got my mind right, got my head straight and kind of, kind of got me past that place that I was just stuck in for so long. I love this idea. Six miles an hour, 10 minutes. Like it, we, so many of us, when we, endeavor on a new thing we want it to be perfect we want it to be exactly right like have the details dialed in so that when somebody asks us right like i mean how many you know now that you're into running right big into running when somebody asks you oh what was your workout today you can like you're just being in that community you're like oh i did this i did this i went on this long run this far in this much time like you start to speak the language the second you get around that it kind of becomes a deterrent to you taking really small steps right and six miles an hour 10 minutes on a treadmill is a small is a baby step to get to a hundred mile ultra marathon someday right that's been a long time in the making but it didn't take very long right and i i tell people this all the time those tiny little baby steps turn into big steps really, really quickly. Like from February to May running a half and by November running a full, like <laughs> that's crazy to me. Talk to us about your process now. Like you, you've run like running two ultras in a year is, is a, is a dramatic stressful event on your body. How do you prepare to do that? honestly, like my process isn't that much different. Um, cause when I, when I first started running, it was, you know, I'm going to go run, I'm going to go run for 10 minutes. Um, now my process, like the, I, I got, I was for a long time, I really wanted to qualify for the Boston marathon and it took me 13 years because they kept lowering the times and it, I, and I was right at that threshold where like I could maybe do it but it would really help if I had perfect wind and perfect temperature and everything needed to go perfect. And it, it took me a long time. It, it, and after 13 years of doing that, I kind of got to a point where I'm like, I don't necessarily want to be results focused as much as like, I just, I really enjoy the process. I like going out for my run every day. Um, and, and that's actually kind of what drove me into running ultras is like, if I tell you what time I ran, it means nothing to know to anybody yeah. other than like, you're crazy. Like that's, yeah. that's a long, that's a long ways to go, but nobody, nobody's looking at your time going like, mm, that's, a, that's a good time. That's a bad time. Like I, I didn't, I didn't want to care about the time anymore. So I just came about the process and the, like, I actually last year doing my first 50, I, I struggled. 
I struggled during the whole COVID uh, period with, I was signed up for all these races and then they got canceled. Well, kind of having that race on the calendar is a little bit what got me out the door. You know, I, I've got this race in six months, so I, I better train for it. So during COVID, when everything was kind of a question mark, it was tough for me to, to get out the door when I don't have that for sure race planned. So kind of things opening back up really helped me, but I also kind of learned about myself. Like it's just, can't just be about the result. It just has to be the process. And I, and that's all I do is I focus on not every day. It doesn't have to be a good day running. Uh, Every long run doesn't have to be the best long run ever. Every workout doesn't have to be my fastest workout. Like it's just about being consistent and going out there and putting in the work and then whatever comes of it comes of it. And I'm, I'm happy with that. It's, it reminds me, I was listening to a, a golf podcast. Jamie and I play a lot of, well, I play a lot of golf. Jamie likes to play golf. He's got two In small Minnesota. children. So, um, no, but they were talking about like, okay, as amateur golfers, we keep score. Right. And we all kind of have some idea of like, oh, that was, that's a pretty good score. Or it's not a good score. But in the end, it really does not matter to anyone or anything. It impacts nothing in your life. Right. And so I, I love that concept that you talked about. Like, I'm going to go run ultras because nobody knows what good time is anyway. So they just are either like, man, they're really, it's, it's cool or I'm crazy, but it's, it's about me and, and enjoying that process. One thing also you talked about in the information you sent us that I, I'm curious about because I feel like a lot of runners, which I am not, and I've made that very clear several times, Jamie, but a lot of runners enjoy running for being outside, being in nature, getting fresh air. You mentioned running one of your, your COVID races, 50 miles on a treadmill. Tell me a little bit about that. That's terrible. I can't even, how did, how does that compare and how did you prepare for and or survive that? I'm going to use survive intentionally there. First, first question. Was that your first ultra? That was my first ultra. Oh my God. (laughs) Yep. That was my first ultra. I, I actually am the rare runner. I, I like the treadmill. Um, okay. And part of it might be that I'm a sports fan. So, and I, I nice. share, a, share a TV with three girls. So I can, I can record a game and I can watch, I can watch my Timberwolves. You know, if, I, if I've got 70 minutes, I can get through a whole Timberwolves game with commercials and fast forward and through everything. Um, I've always been able to run on a treadmill and part of it maybe comes from just, I don't like when it's 10 below, I'm not really excited about going to run outside. I'm I've done that before enough in my life. I don't need to do that anymore. Um, part of it is also just convenience. Um, you know, I'm, I'm busy coaching. I've got kids. Um, if I've got 40 minutes, I can just squeeze 40 minutes in, hop in the shower for two minutes and be done. So, so that's definitely part of it is that it's, it's, been what's worked for me and what I've been able to do to kind of, you know, I, I have a lot of areas that I'm kind of passionate about and I, I don't really want to give any of those things up. Sure. So this is kind of the thing that the thing that I can do. And, and actually I learned a couple of years ago, um, I learned a couple of years ago that you can play video games while you're running on a treadmill and that's kind of been a game changer too. So, so I, uh, I would be playing FIFA soccer while running on the treadmill or playing a little Fortnite on the treadmill. Not very well, but it, it, it helps to pass the time. Okay. How fast are you running while you're playing FIFA running on a treadmill? Because I'm just trying to take one more step on a treadmill and you're playing video games. You know, it, it, it's a, kind of an easy pace for me. If I get going to fast pace, like it doesn't work very well, but but if I'm running an easy run and I'm running for 40 minutes, I'll do that sometimes. So, so I, this past summer, as our listeners know, I got back into running. I was a track coach. I did was not, I mean, I ran cross country in high school as a side gig. I played football full time and I, and I ran a little bit of cross country for um, a year or two. I don't even remember anymore, but I, I, I ran a lot when I was in high school. I didn't, I haven't run really since this summer. I ran like right around 500 miles. And like, it was a game changer. I loved it. I was right with you. Like it was, it's the best therapy you can get, but I have to be outside. I can't be on a treadmill. And one of the things that 
I love is running with people. I having that, that time to just like, yep, there's some silent time. There's some time where you're not talking. There's some time where it's just you guys out in nature together. And then there's these low level, non-threatening conversations about what's going on in your life. You do a 50 miler on a treadmill and then you do a 50 miler in a state park alone. What is it like running a race alone compared to going and doing it in the big context of, of a huge event like that? What, what was different about those, those first two compared to, you know, your last two? So, I mean, when you're, when you're entering something like that, the first thing is it's scary. Cause like, I've, I've never finished a marathon before and been like, you know what I want to do is keep running. Like yeah. I've, I've been really happy to see that finish line. So, um, so, I mean, it was kind of scary to go cause I, I didn't really know what to expect at that point in my marathon career. Like I, I knew that I knew somewhere between miles 17 and 22, I was going to feel like crap and I could, I could get myself through it. I could push through, but, it, but you know, when you're entering kind of this new realm, there's the scary part. Um, doing the first one on the treadmill for me almost was like, I'm going to take some of the less scary pieces out. Um, because I've got a, I've got a bathroom right next to me. I've got all my food and all my water and everything like that right next to me. Cause, cause running an ultra, you have to do a lot of planning. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's a lot more, um, it's a lot more, of uh, I don't even know. It's like a project management than just going to run a regular race. So, so I, it took some of those pieces out running that first one. Um, then when I did the second one, it was still during the, the COVID time when there weren't any races. So it was a virtual race and I, I just wanted to do something different. Um, actually I work in the IT field and like the first two months of COVID were terrible trying to get everybody who's never worked at home to work from home. And it was, it was really, uh, like, professionally it was really a stressful period of time I just kind of wanted a day where I just went and ran in the woods so that I just said well I'm, I'm gonna go do that and and it was it was a definitely a different experience and it's it's definitely a way different experience than going to run an actual race what what is okay so I where is the the like a boundary for you in a 50 miler, right? You say 17 to 22 is kind of the window, you know, in a regular marathon, where is it where it's like, I don't want to keep going any longer. Cause I imagine that that moment comes. It's weird. Cause the longer you get, like you, you have that feeling, but there's, there's like little ebbs and flows. Um, like where all of a sudden it's like, ah, I was feeling terrible. And then like, Oh, I feel a little bit better. And a lot of times it has to do with like nutrition it's like you, you know, hang out at an aid station for five minutes and you have, you know, eight ounces of Coke and a bag of Fritos. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, I don't know why I felt so bad, but you just wait <laughs> 10 more minutes and you're going to feel terrible again. But that, that's just part of the process. So button for punishment. I have, I have a similar question about finding the limit and finding the line. I, I was perusing your, your Twitter uh, before we we hopped on here, and and I think one of your most recent posts, you you talked about, hey, if you know me, you know I'm pretty much down to do any kind of dumb, long, hard run. And then you went on to to list ultra marathons and long runs that I've actually heard of, and they made documentaries about. You said these are my list of too hard for me, which it seems like maybe they're you're working your way towards those and, and you haven't totally ruled those out, but how do you find that line? And you're like, look, I'm not doing a hundred miles in death Valley in California or what, whatever it is. How do you find that line? I don't know. I'm just kind of like right now trying to find stuff that is interesting to me. And like, like when I did a hundred mile race in November, like the thing that I enjoyed most about it was, just like the camaraderie and like hanging out with people like I you know I was running maybe three or four hours into the race and all of a sudden I'm with a group of like five people and and one of the people I'm with is this like 70 year old man who looks like like he looks super fit but he's 70 years old and you could tell he's 70 years old and like he's doing better than I am at this point in the race so I just kind of hung on with him for a probably about an hour just listening to him tell stories 
And he, he actually was a um, somebody that was featured in one of the documentaries about that bad water. I think he's a former a former champion of the of the race. Um, and I, I really enjoyed listening to those stories, but I, I don't find the desire to ever do that. Um, maybe, maybe someday I will. Like, I don't, I don't think so. I, I don't want to necessarily rule, rule it out, but, um, I'm just trying to find things that, things that interest me and things that, you know, one of the things that's really jumped out to me is I've always thought like the people that do those races are crazy. That's not something that I ever want to do. Um, and in the past, like two or three years, like my mind has definitely changed on that where I kind of am like, I don't, I don't really know, like, I don't know what the limit it is. I don't find the need to push that limit, but if it's something that sounds interesting, like I'm, I'm up to try it. So we are a podcast about coaching. Obviously I want to know what has that those last couple of years of saying, we're going to go do ultras now. And I'm open to this thing and I'm going to find something that's interesting. How do you bring that back to kids? How does that experience shape your experience working with kids? Um, well, the first thing it does is if you're at cross country practice, it, it brings you a level of respect because, sure. you know, like not everybody that's out for cross country is just like super excited about every single run. Um, you know, there's definitely some kids, like there's some kids out for cross country that don't even like running. Um, but when they come and complain, like, oh, I got to go six miles. I'm like, yeah, well, I did. I did a hundred. Stop complaining. You know, <laughs> this is this is kind of a this kind of a joke because they all know I'm not like I don't take myself too seriously. But um, it's it's a really cool talking point. Um, kids are genuinely interested about like want to know, like, what's it like, you know, because, you know, they're runners. I'm a runner, but I'm definitely doing something that they have never done. So you know, a lot of times it starts a conversation about just, you know, starts a conversation between an adult and a kid that maybe, I'm sorry, here, I got a dog that's barking. Um, it, it just starts a conversation, you know, and which maybe it might, we might talk about my running or it might lead to something else that they're interested in. Well, we talk so much, Jamie, about kids, young people needing a model, needing to see that it's possible. Right. And, and whether they end up running the hundred miles or the 50 miles or whatever it is, like you said, it's, it's a talking point. And for them to say, okay, at some point, man, the six miles, I'm really, I just am dreading it. And my coach who's about to be 40 years old, just ran a hundred miles. So at some point, hopefully they're like, okay, it's possible. I can do this. It's not the end of the world. If I go and get this done. For sure. For sure. And it, yeah, it's, it's just anything that as a coach, like anything that I can connect the kids with, like I'm, I'm like way on board with um, sometimes like I'm finding like, as I'm getting older, like, I don't know all the music that they listen to. I don't want necessarily watch the movies that they watch. I don't watch the TV shows that they do. So when I can find that common ground with them, like that's a place where we can, that's a place where we can meet um, and then, and then it leads us somewhere else, but you know, something that interests, you know, both me and them, like I am totally on board with, you know, wherever that takes us. Cause I, I really care about relationships. I love kids. Um, and, and, you know, it, but it's difficult because I start talking about my music and they're like, I don't know. <laughs> so that, that again, just kind of brings this whole conversation full circle in 2011, you're a part of the state championship team and anybody that's from kind of that area knows that that state championship team was really driven by a pretty challenging experience among the team where a kid on the team has a heart attack, a cardiac arrest event. What is it like to be able to go to that young man who survives, you know, and, and to say to the teammates, you know, like he's gonna, you know, like we're, I've been here, Right. I, I just think about your role in that experience and to say, like, I, I know what this is, like, we're going to get through this. And then to see them, you know, see the athletes respond to see, um, you know, Zach Gabbard who had that experience, like, what was that like to be a part of that? And then to know kind of what Zach is dealing with the mental side, you know, it's, it's that way to connect, but you have a really unique connection for that opportunity. 
For sure. And, and Zach was a, Zach was a really special kid. I actually, he, my first year of, I was kind of a ninth grade assistant and then I took over the ninth grade. He was an eighth grader and it was like the first year ever that we played some eighth graders up. That's not something that we typically do. Um, and I actually had him for two years because we knew that that group was special and coach Cressup kind of wanted to keep them together as a group. So I, I, I had the rare kind of experience in when you're coaching underclassmen and coaching them for two years straight. So I, I already had a special bond with Zach before anything happened to him. Um, but as soon as that happened to him, I think, I think I played a role that was kind of really important for the family. Um, maybe, maybe not necessarily in like, I said all the right things, but I was somebody that had been through that and they could, like, I think kind of on two fronts, like one, like they could look at somebody and they could look and see like, okay, there, he, there's somebody he's been through it. There's an example that this isn't, isn't going to be the worst because I think, I think when you're going through anything traumatic like that, you, you know, your mind often goes to worst case scenario. Um, and sometimes you just need that reminder of like, you know, things might be all right here. Like, let, like, let's not just kind of focus solely on the negative. Um, but then the second thing was just like, when you're, when you're going through like medical problems, um, and, and a lot of people probably can relate with this, um, you're talking to doctors and nurses, and they're speaking a language that is like, you, you almost feel like you get like medical school in like a week, where they're talking about, you know, certain levels and this and that. Um, and and I, I had the ability a little bit to speak that language, not that I not that I'm providing medical advice either, but, but I knew enough. I knew, I knew what I'd been told. Um, and I could relay some of that stuff to do to them. And I could, I could also tell them maybe why the doctors and nurses were doing some of the stuff that they were, um, in kind of like a, just kind of like a layman, you know, an in-between. So I, I think that it was important that, and then afterwards, um, kind of once Zach recovered, um, I think I've been kind of a little bit of a mentor to him. Like we don't, we don't talk, you know, we don't talk daily or anything like that, but he was, he was, he's uh, working up in Moorhead and he was at our last um, DGF game. And I sat, I sat next to him for during the JV game. I sat, I sat behind the bench and sat and just talked to him for a half an hour. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit about medical stuff, but a little bit about life as well. What was it like for the team? to kind of respond to that and to, to be there and to, to go through that. And obviously, again, you end up winning the state championship, but how did that change the dynamic and the perspective of the kids, the coaches, and how maybe you interacted with one another in the game? I mean, initially it was terrible. It was, I mean, I think it was the worst experience any one of them had been through in their lives. Um, and I don't mean to speak for them, but I can say that with quite a bit of confidence that it was, it was an awful experience. Um, but sometimes, and this is something that I've kind of learned through my own experience, is good things come out of bad experiences. Um, we definitely, that team played for more than themselves. You know, they played for each other. They played for Zach. They played our community and entire area kind of rallied behind us. Um, it, was, it was just like an incredible experience to, to go through. Um, and I mean, and we didn't know, we didn't know for, I mean, it took, it took probably a month before we started to get the sense that Zach was going to come out of this. So there was a, there was a long period there where we're playing games, we're preparing for whoever's up next on the schedule. And at the same time, you know, you get a carrying bridge update and that kind of like affects your whole day because, you know, you, you're in one place, you're worried about you're worried about what's going on in the basketball court, but you're also worried about just what's going on in life. So um, it was a, it was a pretty, it was definitely the most memorable of, it, of my, all of my coaching seasons. And I, there's no possible way that it'll ever be topped. I'm, I'm very confident of that. Um, especially having the result where we go down to the state tournament and Zach walks on the floor and then go ahead and win the whole thing you know, the first time in school history of being there, it was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. What an amazing, amazing example. He became, you know, for everyone too, right? Like this, it's this rallying cry to say, okay, I'm here. 
I, we can get through this thing, you know, like, um, uh, there's a book by Glennon Doyle called untamed. And, and one of the things we say to my, to, to our daughter now is we can get through hard things. You can do hard things. And like, not only can you do it, you might see something you never thought possible on the other side. And, and to have, you know, him standing on the floor at like in a state champion, like what an amazing unifying thing for a community, for a team. Um, like you say, I can't imagine you're going to top that anytime soon. No, and one of the, I mean, one of the life lessons that I, like you talk about, you know, you can get through hard things. One of the life lessons I think I've learned through my coaching and through all this stuff is like, not only can you get through hard things, it's important to go through hard things. Um, I think, I think as parents and sometimes as coaches, we do a lot of time trying to prevent hard stuff from happening. Um, but there is an incredible amount of value in going through hard things and coming out on the other end. Well, I think of, so we had a guy, man, this is a long time ago now, Jamie, but um, we had a, a guest on our show, Ed Molitor, who he talks similarly, but he talks about growing through adversity and the, the growth that happens because of those difficult times, those bad experiences. And you talk about good things come out of bad experiences, Brent, I can't think I'm this, that is probably going to be the title of this episode, because I think that's your story. And, and I think it's important to tell and to remind people that, Hey, we got to keep living life. And just because bad things happen to us, it doesn't mean that the outcomes have to be bad. It doesn't mean that our perspective has to be negative. We can grow through adversity. We can get better. We can do all of the things we ever imagined we could, could do it and push the limit. And you, you talk about not needing to find the limit or push the limit, but I think, you know, for most of us out there, you, you do that quite well. So I appreciate your story. I appreciate you joining us and, and sharing your experiences and, and what that has been like for you. And as much as, you know, we talked with Jeff about Jamie and I have a little bit of tension around Purim because of our athletic, you know, uh, com competitions and things like that. But man, when we, when we zoom out and we start talking about life and pouring into people, and we get to talk to incredible people like yourself. Um, it really grows and stretches us. So again, appreciate you joining us. Well, thank, thank you guys for having me. I, I really appreciate it. This has been a, this has been an awesome experience. Okay. So we, we have to apologize because we ended and we're going to cut this back in somewhere, but um, maybe it's just going at the end. It but is. I asked this question. What is it like to get to mile 70 and to know that you have a marathon left and you gave us an answer that kind of blew our minds. So let's, let's rewind and redo this. You're at mile 70. How do you finish? How do you so, like, what does it look like? So the first thing, like you don't think of it in terms of, I have 30 miles left. Like that's overwhelming to me. Um, like I never thought of how many miles I had left. Like I really just thought of like, how far is the next aid station and aid stations are usually between four and seven miles apart. Um, and, and usually you feel a little bit better after each aid station because you get a little rest and a little bit of nutrition. So you feel good for, you know, maybe 15 minutes or a half an hour. So by the time you're not feeling good, you maybe have two to four miles left before the next aid station. So I just focused on getting to that next aid station. But at like mile 90, I got to the point where I was, I, like, I was falling asleep on the trail. At one point, I put my head on a rock, just thinking, <laughs> I'm going to close my eyes for 15 seconds, and this is going to help. Like, obviously, it didn't. Because it's 3 a.m., right? It, yeah, it, it's 3 in the morning, and I'm just, I'm just exhausted. And I had, like, a runner behind me who was a 50-year-old lady from Detroit, who, at the time, it's 3 a.m., you're wearing, like, a, you're wearing a, a light on your head, you can't even see people around you. Like all you see is their light. So she just starts talking to me and she's like, you look like you could need some help. And I'm like, I do. She's like, hey, run with me, come with me. She's like, I, I figured, I got this figured out. We're going to run 20 seconds and then we'll walk for five minutes. And that's how we're going to get this thing done. And, and that's what we did. That's, that's how I finished the last 10 miles of the race is running for 20 seconds and walking for five minutes is incredible. And, and the reason I said we needed to stop and record it again is because it is just an incredible metaphor for life, right? There, there are so many things that just wear you to the bone and you just want to 
put your head on a rock, right? Like I'm tired, I'm exhausted mentally, emotionally, physically. And then somebody comes by and says, just walk with me for five minutes and then let's give a little burst and then five minutes and give a little burst and then get to the next aid station. Maybe we can go a little bit longer. Maybe we don't have to, right? Like we can continue to frame smaller and smaller and smaller segments of our effort and we're going to get to the end eventually and maybe not to the end, but we're going to keep going. Right. And uh, it's, it's a crazy experience. I can't imagine how like transformative it is even. Right. I mean, it changes who you are and how you think I'd have to imagine. It it does, but it it kind of like, you know, I think, I think you're right on when you say it's, it's just about breaking it down into the small things because nobody believes, nobody ever believes me when, you know, because when I say I ran a hundred miles, like it, like 100% of people are like, Ugh, you're crazy. <laughs> not for me. Um, but really it's like, it's not like I ran a hundred miles. Like what I did is like, I, I walked for five minutes and ran for 20 seconds and I did it over and over and over again. But like, I focused on a small task and that really, you know, and doing small, small things adds up like small things over time add up in any, any avenue of life that you're in, just like small things add up. All right, coach. I'm going to thank you for a second time. And uh, no, but it's incredible stuff. And again, we, we stopped and then we have these conversations and Jamie, a lot of times we have conversations that we don't get to share because we don't go back. So coach, I appreciate you saying, Hey, let's just record again. Let's do it because it really is that good. And you, you also mentioned, a book you kind of had talked about was relentlessly moving forward or relentless progress. Relentless forward progress. I knew I would get that relentless forward progress. And I talked like that is life. Right. And and it's easy to conceptualize that when you're talking about a hundred miles, because to me, that seems like an insurmountable goal. And it's like, yeah, the only way to do that is to continue to move forward. But when it's smaller goals, it seems like, Oh no, I should just be able to do this. Well, it's true in both both instances. Hey, we just have to relentlessly move forward, take a step, make small, small progress, and, and we will get there. So coach, appreciate it again. Thank you. And I said at the beginning of the interview, Jamie, we could have gone seven directions and we kind of did. And at the same time, it feels like it really all tied back together for me, sure. you know, a, a couple of things good out of, out of bad experiences come good things, right? Or growth through adversity. And then really the, the thing we kind of just ended with is break it down, small stuff, keep moving forward, regardless of what the obstacle in front of you is, keep moving forward. Yeah. And like, okay, we have these cardiac events and for a year I'm in my head. I can't like, I'm struggling with this thing. I, am I going to what is it going to do? What is it going to be for me? Am I going to get through this thing? Well, then let's fast forward 20 years. And can I get through these last 10 miles? How do we get through it? Right. With somebody (laughs) break it down, small steps, like take the small steps. And he talked about when he started running six miles an hour, 10 minutes on a treadmill. You do not have to be a hundred miler today, but break it, like make it digestible right how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time like do that thing over and over and over again and you will get to the finish line like you will get to a goal it might not be exactly the way that you look at or that you wanted it to be but i'm gonna i'm gonna give you the real secret of life here it's not supposed to be because along the way you find out what it should be or what you want it to be. And it wasn't what you set out for it to be. You know, I think we've learned that in the business, right? The business has morphed and transformed to become something much different than we had thought it was going to be. And it's better. <laughs> like it's better than we thought it was going to be. That happens in everything we do in life because we go through hard stuff. And that going through the hard thing changes the way that we think about the next thing. And then we accept that next thing or we we meet it with a different kind of excitement or engagement and, and man, what a joyful thing it can be might still be challenging and it might be really hard for 10 miles, but you look back at it and you're like, man, that was, that was kind of cool. Appreciate you joining us and getting better with us today. And as always live eyes up.